We're in a series on the book of Numbers, and uh, today I'm going to share some thoughts and reflections on chapters uh, 28 and 29. Um, for those of you who have been a part of faith or Christianity uh, or church for a while, um, some of you might be familiar with the idea that you should read through the entire scriptures because the entire Bible from the beginning to the end, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, um, everything in the middle, all of that is God's word. Um, God is speaking to us. There's always something that you can take away, some nugget of truth or some insight into who God is or to who we are as a result of that. Uh, and I would like to um, start today's message with that little preface, that even when we get to portions of the text such as this, that we will go through and read a little bit. Um, there is a sense that no matter how, I mean, Omer last week shared on the census, you know, the number counting, um, and even when you get to passages like that, uh, there is still this sense that there's something here. Um, the reason why I say that is because I think some of us, um, me especially, I'm, I'm susceptible to this. We show up to a sermon or I listen to a podcast or something like that, and I'm going to wait and expect for this person who's going to talk to share with me something brilliant and insightful and uh, uh, something I've never heard before. And if not, I just kind of click it off and turn it off. And um, when we get to portions in the Bible, such as Numbers chapter 28 and 29, um, I don't know if I can offer anything of that stupendously mind-blowing like uh, Pastor Kevin's brilliant insights. But the text itself, if we stop and we dig and we immerse ourselves in that world and in that culture and in that context, I have a feeling um, with a heart and a posture to say, there's something here. They wrote this down for a reason. They passed it down for a reason. They codified it. They continued to copy it over and over and over again for a reason. And I would love for you in this moment, um, and maybe this is just the lesson that you needed for today, no matter how uh, the text may read to our modern ears, there's something there. there. There's always something. And so I would just encourage you and ask you and challenge you, okay, I'm going to get my heart ready and prepared. There is something here. And uh, God's going to speak. I'm going to learn. I'm going to take something away. My mind is going to be uh, challenged. My heart is going to be enriched. Um, my life will be inspired in a whole new way. Um, as we get into that. I hope that's okay to say, because you'll see in the slide presentation what I did to myself that I'm going to now do to you all. So that's what's coming. Um, I didn't have a chance to go and get some three-by-five cards, but I want you to imagine in your mind, if you would, uh, you had a three-by-five card, or if you want to take your phone out and get your notepad or something ready and start taking some notes. I want to ask you, what is something that you have that is of great value? Um, pretend perhaps maybe that your house is on fire and you don't have much time to escape, something that obviously feels very, very close to home. Um, but something that is nourishing, something that uh, is valuable to you, maybe it's your food, whatever it is in your refrigerator, something that assists with labor. That could be appliances, that could be your car, uh, that could be any technology that helps. Th something that is meaningful to you. It could be a trinket, it could be something, uh, sentimental value, or something that costs you, something that was really expensive, something that you poured your energy and your efforts into. I want you to just keep that in your mind as we go through a little bit of this talk. Uh, 
and have a, have a name, a title. Uh, you have a description, you have a picture and an image of that in your mind. I know for me, um, something that is very, very uh, helpful for me with labor are all of my technological devices. And uh, the, the work that I do is, is made so much easier. Communication and presentations and record keeping and accounting and home banking and all that kind of stuff because of this beautiful uh, machine that I have. So that's something of great value. So in, in my mind, as I was preparing this message, that to me, uh, was a picture of something that was of great value. Something that was meaningful to me is anything that my little one draws or paints for me that I now have plastered my entire room with um, as she gets more and more creative. So picture what is that for you? Something that is meaningful, something that is helpful, something that is uh, valuable to you, and hold that in your mind. And what I'd like to do is start with uh, Numbers chapter 28 and read through a, a portion of this. Um, and as we read through this, I want you, again, to try to keep in mind some of what uh, may be in your mind that is of value to you. So here we go. Numbers chapter 28, starting in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the Israelites and say to them, My offering, the food for my offerings by fire, my pleasing odor, you shall take care to offer to me at its appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the offering by fire that you are shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs, a year old without blemish, daily as a regular offering. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And also one-tenth of an ephah of choice flour for a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hin of beaten oil. It is a regular burnt offering ordained at Mount Sinai for a pleasing odor, an offering by fire to the Lord. Its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hin for each lamb, in the sanctuary you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight with a grain offering and drink offering like the one in the morning. You shall offer it as an offering by fire, a pleasing odor to the Lord. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs a year old with blemish and two tenths of an ephah of choice flour for a grain offering mixed with oil and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath in addition to the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. At the beginning of your months, you shall... Up Is anybody inspired yet? Are you getting something out of this? You know, it's so funny. I was reading this passage. Burn cows. burn cows. Let's burn some more cows. As I was reading through this, I was like, this verse, you know how people have their life verse or their inspirational verse that goes in various places. I like Numbers 28 and 29 should be right over my stove. That's where this verse belongs. <laughs> so I'm going to steal from Omer from last week. We won't continue reading on. Two chapters of on this particular... But instead of everyone begat everyone. It's the Bible is listing so many sacrifices. Now, I, I want to take a moment. Um, reading these lists with text on a page can get very laborious. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to see if I can illustrate for you what's going on here. So sheep, some flour mixed with oil, and a drink offering, a strong drink. So this is wine that is going to make you intoxicated. You're supposed to offer that Offer that up in the morning. Oh, by the way, and at the evening time, and this is a daily sacrifice, you're supposed to do the exact same thing daily. So those are the two offerings that you're supposed to offer once you've entered into this land. The Sabbath, which is one time a week now, 
Once a week. So in addition to day, that is daily, every single day. On the Sabbath, you're supposed to offer two lambs, a uh, hen, flower, drink offering, and you're supposed to offer that up. That's once a week. Oh, by the way, in addition to that, you're also supposed to offer up the daily sacrifices. So make sure that those go up as well. And these are the things that you're supposed to offer up. Now, so that's Sabbath. Once a week, two times a day, once a week, once a month, first day of the month. Now we get into the, the meat of the deal. You're supposed to offer up two bulls and a ram, um, and then you're also supposed to offer up seven sheep, and then you're supposed to make sure that you have oil for every single one of those animals. So you have two of the, uh, the bulls there, you have one for the ram, and then, of course, you need seven for the sheep there. So you need to make sure that all those are there. Oh, and in addition, this is the first day of the month, it is also a day, which means that you need the daily offering uh, for uh, the morning, and then you need the daily offering for the evening. Yes? You tracking? Okay, so those go up. Okay, so make sure you burn all of those. Passover comes. This is a little bit later in the season. This, you're supposed to offer up two bulls and a ram and then the seven sheep and, of course, all of that. And in addition to that particular offering, you're supposed to add a goat in there. So now we're going to add a goat in there. Oh, by the way, it's also another day. So you're supposed to now offer up the daily sacrifices in addition to the bulls and the rams and the sheep. And, okay, are are we counting already? Okay, so that's Passover. Oh, Right after Passover, guess what? The day after Passover, there's another festival. It's called First Fruits. What are you supposed to do on First Fruits? You're supposed to do everything that you did on Passover, plus everything that you did in the previous one, plus the goat, plus the, plus the daily. Are we short some oil? Oh, did I? One, two, three. No, the goat, there's no oil for the goat. There's no oil, but hey. <laughs> Those are supposed to go for the first day. Now, after that celebration, there is the celebration of the Feast of Trumpets. It's the first of the New Year, so you get to blow trumpets. And what do you do after you blow trumpets? Of course, you grab some more animals, and you're supposed to do that over again, plus the daily sacrifices, plus the goat. And then you're supposed to do that again in addition to all of these previous. So you're doubling up because it's the first of the month, and you burn all of that. And that's supposed to be a pleasing aroma. Tenth day of the seventh month. So after you have the first day, now you have the 10th day. What are you supposed to do on this day? Does anybody want to venture a guess? <laughs> what are we? Yeah. So you're, yeah, there you go. Do it all over essentially again. So take those and is anybody getting tired of the animations? I hope you appreciated how much time this took me. <laughs> They're keeping you awake. That's right. If visuals, anything moving pixels, Mo- uh, that's a good question. No, this is for the Israelites. This is going to happen at the sanctuary, so not per family. But that's an excellent question, because what in the world? Now, on the 15th day of the seventh month, which is after you've done all of those things, and by the way, you have daily sacrifices in addition to that. Seventh festival, there's a seven-day festival. Seven-day festival, which means on the first day of the seven-day festival, you've got 13 lambs with all that, two rams with the oil. You're supposed to do, excuse me, 14 lambs, two rams, 13 bulls, one goat, and it is a day, so you also need the daily sacrifices in there as well. Um, Guess what you're supposed to do on the second day? Same thing, except this time you're only, you're supposed to minus one particular bull. If you notice, there's a negative bull. There's one less bull. So it's 13 bulls. Then on the third day, then on the fourth day, it's one less bull, one less bull, one less bull. Seventh day, you do the exact same thing all over again. Whew. Okay. So congratulations. You have now read through Numbers chapter 28 and 29. Do you feel inspired? Yes. Now, Scholars 
and people with way too much time on their hands have, you know, actually calculated this up. They put it in tables. They've tried to figure out what exactly is going on. How many lambs? How many rams? How many bulls? How many goats? What particular time? And this is the daily sacrifices. And just this list in this very short period of time of seven months is over 256 animal sacrifices. This does not include the rest of the year where there's daily sacrifices over and over and over again, plus the drink offering, plus the flour, plus the oil. I was going back preparing for this message many years ago. I must have been reading through my Bible, as many of us are, uh, have done before, and I found this note written in the margin of my Bible. And so I've decided to title this particular message, So Many Sacrifices. What in the world is going on here? There's a lot of different contexts, a lot of different possibilities, a lot of different things that you could consider. Uh, The ancient world was full of uh, an idea that you were supposed to appease the gods. Consider this also. 256 animals being sacrificed in a very short period of time, which meant how many animals do you think they actually had? Consider the wealth and the prosperity. Consider how much fertility the animals had had during that time. That's something that I don't think we, we pause and think about for a moment. Uh, We have a tendency to think of our own modern world as extremely advanced, very prosperous uh, growth charts. If you're in finances, everything's up and to the right. Sorry, up and to the right, you're right. Uh, Everything is growing, 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 and getting more and more prosperous. But even back then, during this ancient time, there's a lot of animals, and they are, they, the animals themselves are also prosperous. So what's going on here? And what ultimately can we take away? Why is this in a Bible? Why is this in a sacred text? What, What is going on, and what kind of insights uh, views can we see with these particular people and all so many over and over and over again. There's this additional question that's kind of fundamental that is very, very hard for modern ears. For those of us who think about sacrifices, think of all the blood that was shed. And every single day you're going up and you're offering an animal and there's blood that's actually being shed. I, um, I debated on whether or not to show you a video of this happening because some of you actually know that in the northern portion of Israel, there's a uh, region called uh, Samaria. And the Samaritans, who are the descendants of the Samaritans in the Bible, still sacrifice these sacrifices today. And you can go online if you're interested and watch videos of them and the ceremony. And they will be wearing white. The priests will be wearing green. And after all the... um, After the sacrifices, you will see the blood splattered on the legs and on the arms, and they will be putting them on their heads. And this just seems, especially for us, so uh, odd and so weird. And so what what in the world is going on here? So why so much bloodshed? And why is sacrifice so central to this religion and honestly to many other religions? I'd like to reintroduce you to a concept, an idea that if you have been around Spark, you are familiar with. So this will be review for those of you who have been around Spark for a while. But for those of you who haven't, this might be brand new. There's a concept in an idea called redemptive movement, hermeneutic. And that's a very fancy way of saying, if you were back then and you got a commandment to sacrifice animals in this particular way, on these particular times, for this particular reason, to you back then... Back in that particular time, in the original culture, that would have been a really advanced way of thinking. But the problem for us in reading this text is that we are on this side of history. We're reading back into the ancient world. And so for us, it looks like a regressive move. It looks like, why would anybody sacrifice anything today? 
But you have to understand that back then, if we were to move our minds into the ancient world, everybody is sacrificing everything all the time. It was the context. It was the milieu, if you want to use that word. It was, you were swimming in blood, literally at times. It's how the ancient people thought. It's how they appeased the gods. It's how they made peace. It's how they made agreements. Can you imagine going uh, to buy your own car? Uh, you're going to the dealer and you're buying a car and you sign paperwork and then you bring along an animal and you slit, you know, slit the animal. There it is. We've now made an agreement that we're going to do an exchange of goods and services. We don't do that. We sign papers now, which is a much better way of doing things rather than um, sacrificing animals. So there's one possible way of thinking about this, which many commentators suggest, which is the ancient Egyptians were sacrificing all the time, very indiscriminately, not with a lot of thought, to a pantheon of gods. And they were also possibly, um, in fact, I think we have evidence for this, sacrificing humans as part of that appeasement. And so what one commentator suggests is this is that God is permitting sacrifices because the Israelites could not easily abandon the idolatrous religious culture of Egypt. It was so much a part of who they are that getting that out of their minds is just kind of a, how would you even think about living in a world without sacrifice? I was trying to think of a modern analogy to this, and I was thinking about capitalism for those of us who live in this world. What if I told you that capitalism was no longer the economic system by which we should or could live. I, I think for us, that might, might be a possible way of saying, but how would we buy food? How would we even think about uh, exchange of goods and services? How would we survive? Capitalism is so ingrained in who we are. Uh, for many of us who live in America, democracy is so ingrained in who we are. To think of any other kind of way or system of being would just be impossible to think about. And so for the ancient Israelites, thinking about a world where there wasn't any sacrifice would have had a similar kind of thing. How do you live in a world without any sacrifices? And so this commentator goes on and suggests that rather than banning them, God is regulating them, showing them within the context of the world that you behave, within the world in which you live, this is how you are supposed to sacrifice. And here's the shift ordaining that they be directed exclusively toward him and performed under very specific circumstances. Part of the reason this commentator is suggesting that we have all of this ancient archaic sacrificial language in our Bible is because for them, it was a redemptive move forward into thinking about sacrifices in a way that they probably never would have thought about before. Specific to who God is, connected with meaning in their relationship with God, and connected with a much broader and wider story. And they are to be performed under very specific circumstances. If you do a quick search of how the ancient Egyptians, and even ancient South American as well as Middle Eastern, all sorts of cultures sacrificed in all sorts of horrendous ways, to think about this particular tribe in the ancient world being regulated in their sacrifices in this particular way is a pretty advanced step and a move forward. How are they regulated and under what specific circumstances? It's very, very clear in the very beginning of that passage that you are to sacrifice at the appointed times. Now, the Hebrew underlying that word is the exact same word that is found in Genesis chapter 4. The sun, the moon, and the stars are set there 
so that you can mark what are the appointed times. What are the right seasons and the right times and the right places? This is the reason why we have seasons to this day. In the Genesis narrative and story, these things are there to be ritual time markers. They are to give us a little bit of a sense of who we are, our place in this world, and how we are to organize and order our lives. The Genesis story is ultimately a story that moves people from chaos, complete chaos, disruption, disorder, into ordered life, systems, places, this is where this goes, this is where that goes, and everything has order. And it helps create a sense of identity and order in our lives, moving from chaos to order. And so part of the redemptive movement, part of the shift of giving so many instructions on all these sacrifices is to bring that same kind of order to their particular worldview. Now, if we were to still ask the question, but why the blood? Why did they continue? Why what is up with the sacrifices? Why is it that things have to die all the time in the Old Testament, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Scriptures? Why did people back then kill things all the time for every single reason? Before we get culturally chauvinistic, I would like for us to pause for just a moment and maybe ask the question, are we much different? It is frequent that I hear critics of the Bible understandably so. I'm part of that critique. Understandably so. Why did they have to kill things all the time back then? And then, what, did, what, what just happened? What kind of celebration did we just have in which an animal actually has to die in order for us to celebrate our thanksgiving? We know that human sacrifices have happened uh, in the ancient world, and so we think, how dare they? How could they? How could they put blood on the line for whatever, their own pleasure, for their own delight, for their own religious purposes. And then we start to think, wait a second, are we so different? Is sacrifice actually ultimately written in to our DNA? And sacrifice is the very thing by which we get what? Pleasure, entertainment, delight, food, sustenance. Isn't sacrifice part of the way that we find our sense of place in this world? How we grow, how we nourish ourselves? I would like to propose to us that sacrifice is actually not too far distant from us as we may think it is. And we might look into the ancient world and say, dear Lord, they killed a lot of animals. And then all we have to do is turn the corner in our day and age and ask the question, dear Lord, are we killing a lot of animals? And then lastly, for those of us who think that killing for any religious purpose seems to be a very odd kind of an idea, let's consider what might be at the center of some expressions of even Christian faith. Sacrifice, my friends, I am going to suggest to you is in our blood. It's who we are. And we might not think that Numbers 28 and 29 um, has anything to speak to us. But when we think about how many sacrifices they made, uh, how much bloodshed that they made, and then take a look at our lives and how we live and how we sustain our lives, we may not actually be that much different. Now, I'm not going to end there. So, but we got to start there to raise our consciousness. What did you write on your mental 3x5 card? 
What was important to you? What was valuable to you? What was the thing that helped to decrease your labor? Or was the thing that was meaningful to you? What was the thing that caused you to go, oh, that's really super valuable to me? That thing, I want you to imagine and picture that you had to take that thing that you put on that card and sacrifice it for something else. Part of the way in which we can understand why animals were sacrificed and why we sacrifice different things today is that back then, animals were currency. Instead of showing you this image and picture for sacrifice of Numbers 28 and 29, what if I showed you this picture instead? What if I asked you to take all those things that were valuable to you, that cost you a lot, that you invested time and energy and money into, and you had to sacrifice all of that and burn all of that up? Animals in the ancient world uh, were currency. They were valuable. And I can't even imagine, I can't even think about 256 animals that we just listed there, and that's not including all of the daily sacrifices, how much this would have cost them. How much, I mean, it's just, the, the number is just incredible to me. If you stop and think about how much they actually had to sacrifice in order to sustain their faith, their religion, their covenant with God, etc. Okay, so a couple things in summation of that, and I'd like to move to a hopeful piece here. Number one, Sacrifice is in our blood. It's who we are. The ancient people are really no different from who we are. And we exist. We exist to this day on sacrifice. And the reason why we exist today on sacrifice is because every single one of us, every single one of us, our entire systems, government, economic systems, even our social systems, are all about giving up something of value to gain something of greater value. And so if the ancients were sacrificing animals currency, something of great value, then what we can extrapolate from that is that they were gaining something of even greater value. This is actually not too far different from multiple examples. I just chose this one because uh, it just came to mind. Have you ever heard of previous generations, older generations, telling younger generations, we sacrifice so much for you? Yes? Because what older generations, and this is, this is not just our time, but throughout history, older generations or previous generations knew that they were giving up something of great value, whether that was time or money or happiness. They were giving that up because they were gaining something of even greater value, and that was the prosperity and the wealth um, and the hope for their children and their grandchildren, etc. This is something that we all do. This is something that we're all a part of. It's, it's something that's written into um, how we uh, behave. Jesus even talked about this. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Something has to die. And he's using that kind of language. Death has to come in order for something else of greater value to come. So here's what I'm going to propose. As you take a look at the literature and as you take a look at the whole of what's going on from Genesis to Deuteronomy in the first five books of the Bible, the story of the Israelites, they were giving up animals, something that was very valuable to them in order to gain closeness to God. In fact, the word for sacrifice is the word korban, which you might remember from your New Testament. Korov means to come close. I've told this story before, but korov means to come close and kruv means cabbage. And I remember asking my uh, Israeli tour guide if I could have some cabbage, but I said, can you come close to me? So <laughs> they were sacrificing because they wanted to be close. They were sacrificing because they were getting sustenance. They were sacrificing because they were ordering their world and they were sacrificing because they knew who they were. 
through these sacrifices, these are, these are a lot of things here, but if you read the story carefully, there's something that's happening to their intimacy with the divine. There's something happening with knowing that they're going to be okay as they travel through parched wilderness and desert. They know that the chaos of Egypt, the chaos of Assyria, the chaos of Babylon, the chaos of Rome, the chaos of Greece, the chaos that is surrounding them will be settled into order if they mark the days and the times and the seasons. And they know who they are. They find out exactly who they are through this. So if we were to respond to this, imbuing sacrifice with that idea is a huge step forward for these Israelites. It was not a sacrifice for some sort of capricious will of the gods. It wasn't a sacrifice because if you didn't, well, then shame on you. And you're, No, no. Do this because it is pleasing to the Lord. Do this because it's marking the seasons. It's marking your celebrations. It's marking your festivals and your holidays. Do this because it identifies who you are. So that was the original view, a huge step forward. But the reason why I love this image is because there's one more step forward. If you take a look at that trajectory, there's another trajectory that just keeps going. If God is going to take sacrifice, which was a capricious appeasement of the gods, and shift it to an idea in which closeness and order and identity and sustenance was going to take place, what you can do is you can draw a line of that trajectory and say, what is the next step in that redemptive movement. Because Numbers 28 and 29 is not the ending of sacrifices. These passages, which are beautiful in light of what we've just done, are the continuation. Psalm 50. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. I love that line. For the world is mine. And all that is in it, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Don't do that. Sacrifice thank offerings to me. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Do you see the shift? There was a redemptive shift of imbuing the sacrifice with a different set of meaning, and now there's another shift. I never wanted your sacrifices in the first place. That's the redemptive move. I don't need the bulls. I don't eat that stuff. I don't drink that blood. I want your thanks. I want your love. This goes on. I've only chosen a few passages. Hosea, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Amos says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. This is a radical shift from Numbers 28 where it's a very clear delineation. Now the prophets are saying, wait a second, hold on. This is never the point in the first place. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let, here's the, here's the shift. I love the but. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like an ever-failing stream. This famous passage, which is used in a lot of justice work today for a lot of religious justice work, comes after, don't do the sacrifices anymore. That was never my heart, never my intention in the first place. 
Just a couple more. Amos has this other passage. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is another fairly famous passage. One of those bumper sticker passages. One of those passages that you, you know, tattoo on your arm to remind you of who you are. What does it come after? It comes after this passage, which says, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of ram, ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body, or for the sin of my soul? The whole idea of justice and mercy and love and walking humbly is a redemptive shift from the sacrifice. And then there's this beautiful passage from Samuel. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings uh, and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. If you take a look at the full trajectory of the scriptures, you see some pretty amazing, astounding shifts. This is one of the reasons why this faith is just so incredible where there's religions that still sacrifice today and horrible stories that are still told to this day, here's a shift, a move, to imbue the sacrifices with a whole new set of meaning so that you can see a trajectory that will ultimately get to you. Here's what I want you to sacrifice. I want you to sacrifice your, your own need to sacrifice for justice, love, thanksgiving, mercy, that is what the sacrifice is. Closeness to God, sustenance, ordering our world, our identity, does not ultimately come through these sacrifices. They do not come from the blood of bulls and the fire of the goats and the oil and the flour. They don't come from that. You know what it comes from? Do you you know where this really comes from? Where our intimacy, our life, how we order and purpose ourselves and how we know who we are. It comes from love and justice and mercy and compassion. I don't want the stench anymore, God says. This is what I want. This is your holy act of sacrifice. And I will tell you something. Justice and mercy and compassion is a sacrifice. You have to give up comfort. You have to give up your time. You have to give up your money. You have to give up your own, sometimes your own way of life. It is still a sacrifice. But this is ultimately what God is calling us to. We have our values. This is part of who we are. Closeness to God, sustenance, ordering of our world and our identity. It comes through working for God's reputation, reconciliation, rescue, and resurrection. These are the ways in which we are redeeming the whole idea of that trajectory of sacrifice. So my friends, I'm going to propose to you that the ancient world was full of sacrifices, yes, but our world is also full of sacrifices. And if we can continue to make the right sacrifices according to that trajectory, we too will also reap for ourselves an intimacy with God and an intimacy with each other. You know, it takes time to go to a small group. It takes time to come to a service. It takes time to learn music and and play. You are sacrificing time and energy. Uh, It takes money. It takes effort to set up hospitality. Uh, It takes effort to visit our refugee families and shop. We're all making sacrifices, but from those sacrifices come intimacy, closeness with God and with each other, a true sense of identity and purpose, And we get to order this world in a very chaotic place. So Numbers 28 and 29 may not seem so irrelevant to us after all. 
There are daily sacrifices that we make. And I would encourage you to consider not only what are the daily sacrifices that you make, but what could the continued sacrifices that you make. What could you do to continue to sacrifice, to continue to order this world? And to see that trajectory of justice and mercy and compassion work continue to move forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing book. And I pray that something in all of that would challenge us and would remind us that all of this good stuff comes because of sacrifice. And you ultimately sacrificed everything. And I pray that we would just continue to follow in, that, in, your, in your way. Thank you for this amazing, amazing church. I, I'm just so, I, I'm at a loss for words with how beautiful and wonderful these people are. Um, my friends here have made tremendous sacrifices to ensure that this congregation, this beautiful little congregation, continue, continues to thrive, continues to order itself and the world around us, and continues to draw more and more people into intimacy with you and with one another. So thank you for their sacrifices. And help us to in- embrace this entire way with a whole new set of purposes and meanings and understandings. And I pray this in your name. Amen.